Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are joined today by the very busy Ivy Riggs, who is the guru of our legislative team. First week of session. Ivy, how are you? I'm doing good. It's Friday. Glad it's Friday. Yes. Uh, and the sun's so, out and it's shining. And I get to I get to actually see it. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, how we started the week with the state of the state. Um, what did the governor say? Nothing good, Carrie. The governor said nothing good, in my opinion. Um, you know, the governor really went after um, public schools. His one good comment about public schools is there are some out there. There are some good ones out there. Yeah, yeah. That's as he went. He uh, he really went after us as a professional association. Um, he um, said a lot of things that were not true about us and how our membership works. Mm-hmm. And so, really, just correcting that misinformation is is truly just taking our focus away from what we need to be focused on, which is what it's intended to do, in my opinion. Right. Uh, he wants to uh, fire up the really far right about unions being terrible and bullying and forcing people to do things they don't want to do. And it's all just, uh, it's not true. So, so he started with that. He uh, gave his unprovable plan to pay teachers a hundred thousand dollars. This is very diplomatic. This is a good job. I was told coming down I-40 and I just saw droves of teachers coming in because, you know, I'm totally joking on that, but <laughs> how yeah. there, there, I mean, the math questions remain. That was yep. one of the things I thought was interesting. He brought that up, but yet answered no more questions than he had the first time he brought it up. Right. So, so I, I mean, I'm going to try to make this brief and not confusing, but <laughs> it's not brief and it's confusing. So <laughs> I probably will fail. <laughs> he he wants to use the language in a couple of bills. Senator Pugh and Representative Baker each have a bill to um, kind of expand what's allowable now. So so as a classroom teacher, you could become certified if your district chooses to participate in a program that has master teachers or lead teachers or advanced teachers. Mm-hmm. So you're an experienced teacher. You have good evaluations. Lots of these hoops to jump through. Could you leave the classroom for a percentage of your time to go and mentor other teachers, to be supports for other teachers? So in theory, this is a lovely idea. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been in law for almost 10 years, but it's never had funding with it. Mm. Representative Baker this year wrote a bill to kind of um, clarify some, some vagueness in those bills. And she also had a, a kind of a, a companion bill that would use $20 million in lottery funds that are not currently spoken for. So this is in addition to education already gets some lottery funds. So this is in addition to that. It wouldn't be taking away from that. And it would, if a district chose to participate in this program and wanted to match some lottery funds, they could use this money. Okay. So Representative Baker never claimed that this was going to get teachers $100,000. And according to Representative Baker's math, it still won't. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the governor and uh, secretary of education, Ryan Walters, who is running for state superintendent, have said they're going to use this bill. Uh, Representative Baker knew nothing about them wanting to use this bill. I think that's mm -hmm. an important distinction. She's not mm -hmm. working with them in this. I don't think she's working against them. I just think right, this, right. this was all news to her. Yeah. <laughs> that, that they read her bill and created this great plan that, that, that schools can use. $20,000 with their astronomical carryovers. And I say that with all the sarcasm, it sounds like I'm saying it with. I don't believe schools have astronomical carryovers. I feel like schools have, have been made because we've had cuts and, and, and ups and downs and tax protests and, you know, all the reasons schools have carryover dollars. Um, and and shortened budget years, fewer correct. budget years to look back on and right. if you're a shrinking district. Right. With the with the change in funding from last year, mm -hmm. we, we haven't even seen how that's going to look. And there's no way to right. know. Uh, we don't have that three-year average anymore. Right. So 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 schools kind of tighten their purse strings this year and 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 as they should have. Yeah. Not knowing what this is going to look like. So now Secretary of, of Education Walters presented to a group of parents this week that uh, schools have plenty of money, millions and millions of dollars as a whole, that, that they can use to match these grant funds. So um, even if all those things were true, and in my opinion, they are not, even if all of those things were true, you still don't get two six figures. Yeah. You just don't. So Ivy, I, you know, it struck me when I, when I heard that about Secretary Walters trying to tie it to Representative and Senator Pugh's bill, knowing that we've had this in statute, we've had the opportunity for districts to do lead teachers and um, to help give supports, mentoring supports to other teachers. And it, and, it, and, it has, and it actually came out of the teacher shortage task force. That was one of the recommendations from the task force. But what was interesting, it was always, there was never... There was never a funding component to it, which was sad, but also it was to, if the districts wanted to do it, they could fund it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know of one district around the state that ever did that because it, or maybe a few, maybe a few, but it was very small because it was, there were, they had other priorities that mm -hmm. they needed to get to. So that to me is concerning to know that the matching funds of that is going to have to come out of districts that weren't even doing it when we, it was allowable. And right. so, you know, that's the kind of the irony of the whole thing. Like all of a sudden now they're gonna go, oh, we should have been doing that. So so there's a lot of holes to poke in this, right? And and Representative Baker knows this is not a perfect bill, but there's a reason it's not on her committee agenda next week. She's, she's getting input from lots of sources. Her intention is to be one of many, many ways to address a shortage. She doesn't think it's foolproof. She doesn't think it's a silver bullet. She doesn't think it's solving all the problems we have. Yeah. She thinks it's an idea to yeah. keep teachers in the classroom so that they're so that their only option to make more money isn't an administrative degree or to leave education. Right. So, so, so there are some concerns with how are schools going to balance if a teacher becomes a master teacher, it's being away from your class for for 50% of the time, 25 to 50% of the time, who covers that class in the meantime? Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of disruption is that for kids? Mm -hmm. um, are rural schools, because of the way they're set up, maybe there's only one teacher per grade level, things like that. It, are yeah. there, how would a rural school do that? And, and 
is that equitable or fair or whatever that a rural teacher wouldn't be able to do that? So, so there are lots of lots of issues, and and she realizes that. Sure. She, you know, so 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 we're having good conversations about this bill. Um, you know, disingenuous is the nicest thing I can say about how the governor presented this bill. They're this. And I say that was very diplomatic. Good job. Thank you. Um, one thing that was uh, that had come up last week was the issue of Senate Bill 1647. Um, we had asked for our members to reach out and talk to their senators. Other organizations had as well, but we didn't see that this week. We didn't. And, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation of why we didn't see it this week. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got no indication that Senator Treat has changed his mind about pushing this issue. Mm -hmm. We we think it's a very big priority of the governor's. We think it's a very yeah. pri big priority of Secretary Walters and a huge priority of Senator Treats. So we do expect to see it. We don't know when there are there will be two more Senate Ed Committee meetings that it can be heard on. And uh, the makeup of those committees has changed in the favor of school choice. And I don't think that's by accident. Senator Treat names committee members. Sure. So we've lost some moderate Republicans and gotten some school choice folks that have been named to the committee. So, so um, I think contacting senators, your senators, and letting them know how you feel about vouchers in general, whether we call it an ESA, whether we call it a voucher, right. whether we call right. it parent empowerment, whatever we're calling it, we're asking them to keep public dollars funding public schools. And I think we need to keep that message up because we did get some good news yesterday, uh, uh, Speaker McCall over in the House did say to a reporter yesterday that he does not think there's an appetite for vouchers in the House this year. So that got spread far and wide, that that spark was lit, and, and that's promising, but that doesn't mean that things don't change. I, mean, I don't, I don't, I, we know the other side is pushing because we keep getting forwarded all the mailers, all the surveys, mm -hmm. all the all the all the things that the privatization crowd is pushing, mm -hmm. they are continuing to work it. So we still have to do our job too. I was going to say, even though that was that was exciting news, there's still. I mean, this is definitely not the only voucher bill. It's, it's not, not the only the voucher, only voucher bill. bill. And and we're getting uh, we we get uh, information each day that that says uh, there will be an amendment on it. So. Our fear is that if they change this bill to not be universal vouchers across the state, let's pretend that they change it to where it would only be Oklahoma City and Tulsa. The problem is we're afraid some rural legislators would be okay with voting yes mm -hmm. because it's an election year and it's tricky and that maybe they've got opponents that are school choice opponents. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the problem is rural schools still suffer. COSA, which is the Administrators Association, their estimate is that it would still cost every school in the state because approximately $200 per child, we would get $200 less in per pupil funding across the state, even though rural schools wouldn't have private schools to go to. So you're still keeping all your kids and you're gonna get less money. So those students suffer, those schools suffer. Man, and especially some of your smaller districts where there's such a thin margin I mean, it is so it is so close. There's not a bunch of money in carryover. There are not enough of a bunch of students to absorb that cost through economy of scale. I mean, that is 
that's significant. That's it is significant. And, and it, was, oh. it really takes away from any gains we've gotten over the last five years. We've gotten yeah. increased funding per pupil. Yeah. We're, really, we're, we're finally making some strides after more than a decade of cuts. So we're going to put superintendents and school boards in this impossible decision again of mm-hmm. larger class sizes or cutting yeah. programs or yeah. rehiring support staff or all the terrible choices we've been having to make. Yeah, I was it was I was down in rural of uh, southeastern part of the state today in a rural local and uh, listening to their superintendent, who was amazing. And he was talking about all the effects of what this bill could cause and, and knowing that it was going to be taking money away from their locals. And now with a even more open transfer law that once students come in like that, that is that not that that money doesn't immediately follow them. And so you're even at a greater loss. And he goes, and then I'm looking at a decision. Where do I have to cut? Just like yeah. you said, where do I have to cut? Right. Well, enough state of the state, enough voucher talk. Can we please, for the love, talk about something good? Good things happened this week. They I did. Presume. They did. They did. It, you know, the first week is usually pretty slow. Committees don't usually meet, but this year they've, they've started a little quicker than normal. They got committee assignments done pretty quickly. Every Senate bill has been assigned to a committee. So those committee chairs are decisions. What bills are they going to hear? Which ones are they not going to hear? Um, the House still has some bills that haven't been assigned. A lot have been. So progress is starting. Committees did start. Um, House Common Education, Rhonda Baker's committee didn't meet this week. It will meet on Tuesday. But Mark McBride's committee did meet, which is the Appropriations on Education Committee. It met Mm -hmm. Wednesday late. And a couple of good things got through. The NBCT National Board Certified Teacher Stipend Bill coming back. It got through committee. Um, uh, Representative McBride has a $1,000 stipend for every certified employee. That made it through. He's also got a bill that is a... meant to be a teacher recruitment tool that that uh, that would spend about $5 million, so close to 100 scholarships. I mean, it's not a silver bullet again, but yet baby steps, right? Little little mm-hmm. steps. It would be scholarships for um, uh, high school graduates in Oklahoma that choose to go into education could get uh, quite a bit of help through college. It wouldn't pay for everything, but it would pay for quite a bit. So we're hoping that kind of together, Maybe we can keep some of our teachers that are in the classroom now and get some new ones. That, yeah, that and in his bill, not only did it provide like a thousand dollars their first three years each year, and then like twenty five hundred their like senior year, but four thousand dollars a year for their first five years that they're in an Oklahoma classroom. Right. So some recruitment, some retention. Uh, so, so we're seeing a few good things. Yeah. Uh, Senator Pugh uh, kind of added on a, a, some brand new language to a bill he had in Senate education um, this, uh, this uh, week. He took a bill that was something totally different and he made it um, state paid. So, well, he didn't say state paid. He said it wouldn't be an unfunded mandate. So I think that means state paid. Um, 12 weeks maternity leave for I saw that oh my gosh that's huge paid maternity leave leave. so so your young teachers that haven't been teaching long enough to really that was 
those sick days and have that leave to really stay home and, and bond with their family and have that start without having to go without pay and pay a sub and do those types of things. So, yeah. you know, I, I, it is duly assigned, which means it's Senate education and also appropriations. So uh, the, uh, Roger Thompson's committee will have to more than likely that one will be held for a little while until budget talks start because you do have to. I don't think Roger Thompson's against maternity leave. I don't think he's against paying maternity leave. I think yeah. he's really he's charged with balancing the budget of the state. Yeah. And yeah, so Senator, really, yeah, Senator Pugh is very, very, very transparent of saying uh, I will have to get a fiscal impact on this and I'm doing that. So go, but let's go back to the House. Um, a on the appropriations education to of education committee. So to help get back to our schoolhouse rock thing, right? Once they come out of appropriation, and when you say duly assigned, those bills will still have to go to the House Common Ed Committee before they go to the floor, or they don't? No, if they're money bills, they'll go to full A and B committee. Oh, so they, gotcha. they went to the education appropriations, and then Got they'll it. go to the full appropriations. A and B. Mm -hmm. so that's, they, they don't have to go back to the common ed committee. No. Gotcha. Yeah. One less hurdle. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well. And then they'll, then they'll be eligible to be heard on the house floor. And again, I think appropriations will be slow to, yeah. I think they'll kind of compile, you know, what are our priorities as a, as a committee and, and as a, as a caucus uh, and what can we spend money on? And, and if you've paid attention leading up to session, uh, leadership in both chambers and appropriations chairs in both chambers have said, we really want to stick to as much one-time money spending as we possibly can. And I think that's why you're seeing a stipend bill instead of a pay raise bill. Mm -hmm. Because a stipend bill is one time, not recurring. We don't have to find the money again next year. And so as much as uh, that's disappointing. I, I understand why. Well, um, we will be following closely as committee meetings continue for the next couple of weeks. Thank you, Ivy, for taking time to come and talk to us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so honored this morning to have with us Dr. Ted Dentersmith, who is a venture capitalist and education advocate, author of the book, What School Could Be. How are you, Dr. Dentersmith? Well, I'm, other than struggling to respond to doctor, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know my wife were here, she'd laugh because, <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah, I, I go a lot better with Ted, so I'm okay. fine. Okay. Ted is fine today. And actually, point I'm, I'm very, it would be Ted. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be talking to you. Well, um, so for folks who might not be familiar with uh, your story, you were um, a wildly successful venture capitalist, and then you decided, because that wasn't uh, exciting enough, to go on a 50-state journey of our public schools. So talk to us about why, why did you make that shift? Why did you decide to do that? Yeah, well, it, it like a lot of things, it starts with something deeply personal. And for me, it was watching what was going on with my kids in middle school. So my background was having spent three decades kind of at the forefront of where the economy is heading. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time, I wasn't as focused on the fact that I was, was getting this great vantage point on what the challenges will be for social media. We were first round investors, though, in Twitter. So that was a pretty oh. early look. 
And, and so I had this mindset of, you know, these are the people that will thrive in the creative economy. And these are the types of things they have to be good at, you know, and then there I'll list things that everybody I think would just nod their head and say, absolutely, you know, you know, create a problem solver, great question asker, you know, mm -hmm. uh, be able to work with others, being really quick to learn things that are new and different, um, leveraging resources, being bold and audacious, you know, like that's, that's sort of the, the blueprint for what will make for a successful adult going forward. And, and in a lot of different ways, you know, that like even though we were working with companies that aspire to be big, I would say that's true every bit as much for a, um, you know, somebody that's really focused on making their local community better. So you mm -hmm. look at people that are in, you know, the you know, master electricians, they have to be the same way today. You know, they're very entrepreneurial and technology infused. So it's just sort of a general set of characteristics that will serve people well in a world where machines increasingly do anything and everything routine. Mm -hmm. So that's my mindset. So then I start watching what's going on with my kids and I, and I suddenly realize that they're going to be rewarded largely for their ability to memorize material, replicate low level procedures and follow instructions. Mm -hmm. And in their particular case, when, when they would want to do something different or, or pitch the school on doing something different, it was generally discouraged because, you know, you have to cover the content. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, I didn't really fully appreciate, I, I want to make this statement forcefully early, I, I, I didn't fully appreciate the fact that our teachers are heroic, right? right? A lot of what they do is not what they want to do. A lot of what they do is what they're told they have to do. Mm -hmm. And it can be governed by state mandates, it can be governed by college admissions obsession, it can be governed by parental expectations, but you know, hold that thought because I just sort of said, boy, this makes no sense. You know, pushing kids to be good at what machine intelligence does, mm -hmm. discouraging, diminishing the very traits you see in every toddler that would serve them really well as adults. Whoa, it seems like seems like a really important disconnect. And so that's when I really got going on this and started with this film and people who haven't seen it. Uh, you know, we, I don't charge for it. It's just available for free, but most likely to succeed was my start. Mm -hmm. And it's great. You know, like I, not because of me, I mean, I found a great director and, um, and he just knocked the ball out of the park and, and it's been, you know, Sundance, Tribeca, AFI, it was mm -hmm. sort of ran the table in film festivals. But then one of the things I made a lot of mistakes, but one I did not make, you know, was I turned down Netflix after Sundance. And instead, we went directly to communities. And, you know, that film has been shown now in 10,000 school communities, wow. Wow. over 30 countries. The country that's seen it the most is China. I think that's a wake-up call. Wow. And, you know, the film, basically, it's a very emotional, powerful film. It doesn't say this is better and everything you used to do is wrong. It says this is different. What do you think? So yeah. it's sort of consistent with the mindset. And I think this is where my venture capital perspective comes into play of not presuming to tell people what they have to do, but helping, you know, like think about what you think is great. And then is there a way to get you excited and support you to pursue something you believe is important? And you see that that defines the life of these students and teachers in the school we capture. You know, students pursuing big, bold projects, working into, you know, all the skills I just mentioned that are gonna serve them well as adults, that's what that school's essence is about. Teachers trusted to teach to their passion and expertise. So that happened and I started going, doing a lot of community you know, events with the film. And it was, it was so interesting because the reactions were 
consistently the following. Students would say, oh my gosh, that's great. I'd love to be in a school more like that. Educators would say, oh, that's great. I, I'd love for our school to be more like that. <clears throat> you know, parents would say, oh, that's great. I'd love for my kids to be in a school more like that. You know, business people would say, oh my gosh, that school would really be preparing kids for what we want in the people that join our organization. So widespread, you know, like this would be great. But then sort of a general comma, but we right. could never do that. Yeah. Comma, but we could never do that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what led to the trip is I said, wait a minute, you know, like here it is, you know, everybody says this is really inspiring. And, and we were quite careful not to say, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. we, we just showed a very different set of learning experiences in the film and actually underplayed it, you know, too new, too early, not enough data, hard choice. Everybody's got to make up their own mind. You know, but when people saw it, they said, oh man, I, and, and, and the people in this, film at the school say, please, please, please don't copy what we do. We mm -hmm. do what we think works for our kids in our community. Yeah. We just would love to see you do what works for your kids in your community. Mm -hmm. Like what I hear you say is for our schools to be doing, uh, finding what they need to be doing that fits in the context of their community, figure out what does their, what do their families need? What can we do to support them? What do they, how do they need to progress academically and in their social, emotional well-being? That's just, you're just talking crazy talk, Ted. I'm <laughs> going to tell you right totally now. Crazy. Totally because, crazy. Yeah, you know, how, how dare we take that? On? No, I, I'm just joking. That is exactly what we want to be happening. I do think that that core thing of giving people space to identify what they want to accomplish and supporting them to do it is so powerful. It's so core to what makes us human. But if you look at what really fueled Google's success, it was giving their employees 20% time to invent and create something they thought was interesting. So it wasn't the top CEO, you know, C-suite of Google telling every employee, this is what you got to do. It was, we're going to give you one out of five days to work on whatever the heck you think might be interesting. And out of that came Gmail and out of that came a whole bunch of other things. And it's, it's very different, the command and control model versus helping people, supporting people to be clear about what they'd like to accomplish and, and realize those dreams. And so you look at a, a really interesting, but very diverse state like Oklahoma, right? You know, the, the topics, the subjects, the expertise that is of really great interest to a kid in an agricultural area is going to be very different from what is interesting and motivating to a kid in an urban area. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and when we forget that, you know, we, we're losing sight of the fact that there are these huge opportunities to engage kids in things they think are really close to their passions, things that they have real expertise in. Mm -hmm. And and we, you know, so you, you know, to, to ask every kid in Oklahoma to design the right algorithm for stoplights for when it's red and when it's green would probably not be very interesting to a kid in you know, a rural area <laughs> yeah. where there's no stoplights. There's a four-way stop sign and yeah. slap out Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, and to ask a kid in you know downtown Oklahoma City to design you know a you know kind of a next wave of great technology-driven innovation in agriculture might not be very interesting. Mm -hmm. But could kids across the state, in ways that speak to them and what they're passionate about, 
come up with the most interesting inventions and initiatives. Absolutely. And so the question is, shouldn't we run with that, right? Shouldn't we at least give kids some time in their lives to create and invent something distinctive, differentiated, and bold that in a way they can explain to us makes their world better? And, and those worlds are quite different. And those talents and passions are quite different. Mm -hmm. And what they're going to create is quite different, but it can be great. And, and the thing you have to give up in that is to compare the performance of a kid in rural Oklahoma to a kid in Tulsa, to a kid in Minneapolis, yeah. to a kid in New York City. Right. You know, and, and if, if your goal in life is numbers to rank, you want every kid to do the same thing so they can take the same test to make life more convenient for the rankers. Mm -hmm. you no, know, but but they are they are these people that care a lot more about data than children. Yeah. And, and to me, I think we've got that all wrong. Let's start caring a lot more about children than data. Right. Right. Amen. You just keep preaching that. <laughs> that was the Oklahoma in me that just burst it out. <laughs> so you've had a, a foot in the business world and a foot in the education world. Um, Catherine and I were talking earlier, and Catherine brought up such a good point that. We often hear we should run government like a business. When you, when you have been to schools all over the country, have you ever thought, man, this really should be more like a business? Well, you know, the, the, where it breaks down, right, is um, what's true in the business world. And I'm, I'm pro-business. You know, like, let's be sure. very clear. Like, right. I'm, not, I'm not sitting there saying business is horrible because I mean, it's actually, for me, it was a wonderful career. Yeah. Lots of people in the business world are doing great things. But I think there are quite clear and unambiguous metrics for what is a better and a worse performing business. You know, like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, you need to have the ability to generate financial, yeah. you know, results that let your business you know, stay alive or ideally grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when you say, you know, I was in venture capital, I backed a whole bunch of companies. It was very clear what made for a successful company, what made for a failed company, what made for a successful venture capitalist, what made, you know, you don't sit around in the world of venture capital and say that person was really well-intended, even though they backed 20 companies and 19 failed. You say they're a good person, they were a bad venture capitalist, you know, yeah. fair enough. I think the problem is when you start thinking about education in those terms, it, you, it leads you down the path of pushing schools to do the wrong thing, you know, because the easy metrics are the wrong metrics, right? You know, like, so, and that's what happens. I think business person after business per person will say, if we could just get those test scores up, all will be well. If we could just get more kids getting their high school diploma and then going to college, all will be well. You know, yeah, those yeah. are the simple, easy, convenient, terribly misleading metrics, because that's not what matters in life, right? You know, and the second thing is that last time I checked, people were not committing their lives to education for the stock options, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's that's like, why Catherine know, got into it. But yeah, it didn't pan out. <laughs> these are the most dedicated, committed people you could imagine, right? They are there because they care about kids. They do want to engage and inspire. Mm. And, and when you suddenly say, you know, I write about my book, I think they've sensed finally, although you never know in that state, but in Florida, you know, some of the nonsensical things they do. I mean, I'm like, they're laying it out for me and I, my jaw is going not just below my belt, not just below <laughs> my ankles, but through the floor. 
where they're giving, you know, it's worth highlighting because it just shows you the cockamamie things we can do when we get this all wrong, is that they were offering $10,000 bonuses to high-performing teachers in Florida. Okay, so of course that then begs what's high-performing. So there were two criteria for high-performing. One was damaging counterproductive wrong, which was higher test scores, right? Which, mm-hmm. which immediately says the teacher's taking on the most challenging students, they're yes. at a disadvantage, you know, a bunch of things Absolutely. that just push you. And, and it just says, teach to the test, Te- you know, 10,000 bucks is on the line, teach yes. to the test, you know, that's it. So that was really, if it had been at that level, I would have said, that's dumb, but it was worse, right? That was gate number one. Gate number two was, worse. yeah, gate number two was the SAT or ACT scores yeah. of the teacher. You know, oh, and some of these teachers have been in the field from high school. Yeah, 20, 30 <laughs> years. And if your SAT or ACT scores weren't in the top 20%, you wouldn't get that bonus. And, and but you could go back and retake. So you think about oh, my word, you know, a 30 year experienced history teacher who was incredible, changing kids' lives. And, you know, now they're told get higher test scores. That's really wacky. But they're also told, oh, my gosh, you were you were at the 65th percentile on your SAT scores because of math, which has nothing to do with your history class, actually has the, the math on the SAT actually has nothing to do with life. We could talk about that. Um, <laughs> but, but you'll go back and retake your SAT or you can't. And you just say, oh, my gosh, you know, like if you just wrote a fictional story this would look like something from one of those satirical things so nobody <laughs> nobody i mean that is really making the point of taking things to a completely absurd and plausible level but it was real right, right. years but, and years but, that's how yeah and ted that's exactly you know uh our, our governor in his state of the state talked and you put it out there that teachers the best teachers would make a hundred thousand dollars that is a perfect example of what a merit pay bill could look like but i'm nobody can see it on the podcast but i'm holding up your book but the favorite thing i love about your book is all the places that i've tabbed in here um because this is truly a an art of showing how you leaned in and you listened um, there are parts of the book that um, on really tough days, I go to your book. I, I go back and I read the stories of all the great things that are happening in schools. Um, but, it, it, but it's not just about all the great things. You talk about where, just like you pointed out in Florida, where they were failing um, our educators and our students. You talk about that. You talk about how, you know, we can't just, it's not about the matrix and the data. Um so you can't see it, but I have all these little lovely pieces tabbed. Um, but it, but it, but the parts about the examples that you give about what schools were doing right are beautiful, and um, they they bring me joy on and days that I need it. Yeah, and what to me it was sort of consistent with what we were talking about earlier about mindsets is. You know, I feel a bit in writing the book like a plagiarist, right? I mean, I, I'm not writing about my ideas. I'm writing about things done in the field, these incredible explosions of creative learning challenges where, you know, and a common denominator was when I'd, I'd ask the educator, generally a classroom teacher, like, where did this idea come from? It wasn't a memo from the state, you know, Department of Education. It wasn't something from U.S. Department of Education. It wasn't something for Bill Gates. I came up with this. I thought this would work for this set of students. I really believed in this. 
But every single one of them said, and somebody in the administration here had my back, often a principal. Yeah. Mm. We realized that, you know, that whole mindset of, you know, if our education administrators had that same mindset, uh, help their teachers, help their students find their dreams, and I'm here to support you instead of policing and mandating. And I think those are very different contrasts, you know, invite, celebrate versus police, you know, mandate and police. And we do a lot of mandating and policing and then wonder why all the data we generate shows nothing but, you know, kind of flat trends. You know, it's like at some point we should just say, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're trying to cut down oak trees with a baseball bat, you know, like that, <laughs> you, you know, we can swing harder doesn't make any difference. You know, it's like, if you play to, if you spark student engagement, if you extend trust to teachers and let them do what they're passionate about doing, you know, we may not be able to have the, the, the down to three decimal points data that says things are better, but if other people, state, you know, state legislators, governors, town, you know, school boards, whatever, if they do what I did, you know, get out and go visit the schools. Yeah. They don't send me a graph or a chart. Go visit, interview the students, interview the teachers. And if you do enough of that, you can start to make more general, you know, assertions about what works and what doesn't. What, um, to kind of close this out, if you could send a message to Oklahoma educators and support professionals or administrators, the adults who are working in our public schools, what would you want them to know? Well, well, first, the immense impact you have on the kids in your care. You know, when I talk to non-educator adults and say, think back to when you were growing up, what experiences or people made you the person you are today? Invariably, people will point to one or two or three teachers. Yeah. And, and so teachers change lives. It doesn't have to be, and it generally isn't every teacher. No, nobody says, Nobody says, just a second, here's a list of 100 teachers. You know, nor do they say, here's a list of 100 classes. You know, it's, it's, right. a, it's, it's a few, that's the power, right? And it's often, and I think this is a really interesting observation, is it's, it's often not hours and hours or years of years of interaction. It's often that teacher that comes up to a student and said, you know, I've seen you do this. You're really quite good at this mm -hmm. and you can build on that and you're going to really do great things in your life. You know, just giving that kid and, you know, when a parent says that it kind of goes in one ear and out the other, that's parents job. Right? <laughs> so, you know, you hope every parent is constantly telling their kid, you can do great things in your life. Um, some don't, but you know, but that, I don't think that moves the needle much with a kid, but a, an educator, whether that kid is in their class or is it an after-school program? Or they just watch that kid and say, you know, I just noticed that you constantly lift up the kids around you. That's an unbelievably important capability. Build on that, you're going to do great things in your life. So that's the first thing I'd say. Second is, you know, no sugarcoating it. The last couple of years have been immensely challenging. Mm -hmm. there, there's widespread fatigue. You know, there's a lot of things getting you know, a lot of reasons and things, people out there trying to fuel the grumpiness that's going on. So, you know, we could absolutely look at that and say, oh, it's time to be really discouraged. I think there are a couple things that I think we should take away from it. When people say schools can't change, I just say, look at what happened in March of 2020. You know, when we yeah. feel there's urgency, we can change on a dime. Our educators did it. 
they rose to the challenge. If we stopped obsessing about the stray lesson here or there that some parents find obsessive, we'd come back to our senses and say, the last 24 months have been heroic with our teachers in the field. You know, so that I think is really interesting. And then, then the second thing is that we've sort of seen from that period that the more kids have been equipped with the capability and the understanding and support to pursue things they're interested in, the less the disruption mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, like a kid that can manage their learning, that can that is really motivated because they think it's important, you know, that's just such a superior model. And when you take a an in-person lecture-based class with fact-based recalled questions, you know, would I love to see those disappear entirely from our landscape? Sure. Um, but they, they didn't work in person. They didn't work on Zoom. I think we should just say, if they don't work in person and they don't work on Zoom, you know, they're probably not going to work in virtual reality. Let's give up on that. You know, like let's 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 start going with what we know works. And and when people there's a there's a high degree, particularly with parents, but I think with a lot of educators of of risk aversion. Yeah, oh, but this might not work. But this might not work. But over and over, you know, the the feedback I get is when kids are spending more time working on stuff they find really interesting, when they can't wait to be at school, <clears throat> when they're creating, inventing, and learning how to learn, you know, nobody's coming back and saying, "Oh my gosh, our test scores plummeted." You know that they don't. You know, like the kids that are have racing minds do just fine on tests that honestly I I don't think are particularly reflective of anything important. So so. We'll leave aside the debate about whether those tests are getting at something good, bad, or indifferent. But those kids, the penalty is really not there. You know, the, 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 the perceived downside, I think, is grossly overrated. And the kids that are creating, carrying out, doing bold things, you know, working together on big projects, do just fine on test scores. Do, if they want to go to college, they do great in the college process. They often discover things that they can do in their life that don't require college. And I celebrate that. And so it's like, what's holding us back? You know, mm-hmm. and, and so what I hope is, you know, I, and I'm really focused particularly on, you know, I think if, this has been a really tough, this to me, if you said to be using a sports metaphor, I'd say in the, in the world of education, <clears throat> we're kind of at mile 23 of a marathon. Yeah we're kind of tired and we see the finish line. And, and so, so I sort of accept the fact that the next two or three months <clears throat> may not be the time for the most innovative new ventures within schools. <laughs> Fair enough. But I think there's a real power to the coming school year and mm-hmm. the power of a fresh start. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd love people who are listening to check out, you know, it's www.whatschoolcouldbe.org. Mm-hmm. We have, I think, incredibly helpful resources to support educator-led confidence-building innovations in the classroom that will accomplish all the things that we've been talking about that will set kids off on great paths in life. And, and there's no call. I'm not, it's not a sales pitch because, you know, the more people that use it, the more it costs me because we offer free coaching and we offer all these great video-based resources. And we ask teachers to tell us what they're doing that's great or what we got wrong and help us make it better. And it's all on this great community platform. I call it Facebook without the ads or scuzziness. And so you can set up <laughs> you know, your own private forum in a school or across a district or history, middle school history teachers across Oklahoma could have their own private forum just to trade notes, you know, communicate what I'm going to try that who knows whether it's going to work great or not, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited about it. 
What did I learn from it? How am I going to make it better? Because innovation is a team sport. And I think if we can encourage people, I call them these little seed crystals of disruption, you know, like get a few teachers here, you know, some teachers and admins there to try in their own way something that they think will advance learning experiences and better prepare kids for adult life. And then share back to their colleagues, you know, in their school or in their district or across the state with what's working. And so we've got all, you know, the resources in place to facilitate that. And, uh, you know, it's picking, it's really growing. I mean, people are just coming back and saying, oh my gosh, this is really exactly what we've been hoping to find. And uh, I do sometimes th think I should charge for it because <laughs> people will say, well, if it's any good, why is it free? But, you know, and I'll say this, and this is probably a great note to, to finish on is that, you know, when I see the number of educators that out of their own pocket, pay for food for kids yep. or yeah. pay for clothes for kids. All these things that are a social, I think, challenge, they, they should be dealt with by society. We have this really convenient thing we do where we just say, well, let's turn it into a school issue, right? right. We'll hold you accountable to test scores. And so what if most of your kids come to school having not had a meal since lunch the day before, get those test scores up. Yep. And these incredibly dedicated educators in the field <clears throat> will, spend their own money to address those issues, you know? And, and so I'm just, you know, I don't care what the perception is. I'm not charging anybody anything for what I did. <laughs> Here it is, I hope you use it. Please don't look down on it because it doesn't cost you something. You well, two are being a teacher. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate your time so much, Ted. And we are very much looking forward to you coming to our organizing conference. And uh, we appreciate your work. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm excited, too, because I, I do think this is a fair observation, right, is that a school, a district, a state that's willing to bring the courage and vision to get things right is going to soar. You know, it's, it's like if and I would say this to your Oklahoma legislators and business people, that if we start equipping students with the confidence and skills to create bold initiatives to in their own way assemble resources and draw on their own passions and interests to, to do things that affect positive change, you're going to have a whole new wave of entrepreneurial thinking kids coming out of your you know, K through 12 schools in Oklahoma that will set you up to thrive in the innovation era. And it doesn't matter what goes on in Washington, D.C., and it doesn't matter what California is doing or Massachusetts are doing or New York State's doing. I do deep and I'm heading up to Charlotte later today. I mean, they're sort of like, we kind of buy this, is that if we get this right and kids come out with, with foundational competencies, hireable skill or skills, and kind of the belief that they can do it, you know, that school, that community, that district will be off to the races. And, you know, so why not, right? I mean, why, why not? If it's joyful, if, if everybody says, oh, sure, we should do that. Are we really going to let, you know, you know, built in expectations and patterns of behavior hold us back? You know, like, I hope not. Well, Dr. Ted Dinner-Smith, <laughs> thank you very much for being on Friday Okra. I, so many things we've learned today. We appreciate your time. Excellent. Well, thank you. I hope we didn't overcook the okra here, but I, I look forward to, uh, to see. And my wife, by the way, loves Oklahoma. So, um, so, yeah, so we hope to, you know, it's like finally it looks like it's getting easier to travel. So I hope I'm there in person soon. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Take care.
So let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. Uh, wow. This past Tuesday was election day. And yes, I, Harry, I was. Oh, my gosh. I did, too. I was so excited that I had election to vote in. Yes. Um, and I and I was able to vote. Um, my district, which is Deer Creek, had a bond election. So that just even made me oh, cool. more excited to get to go and vote. But that was the amazing thing. Um, because I knew that the, our our district that we lived in had a, a bond election, so I was just kind of I was watching the results during that evening and uh-huh. evening, and I was blown away. I was blown away at the uh, first. I was blown away of all the positive results on bond elections that uh-huh. were happening. Yes, but then I was blown away by the amount that they were passing by. Like yes. you, know, you have to have 60% to pass a bond, yes. which is not an easy lift. Right. They were passing by over 70% and yep. 80%. 80%. And I thought to myself, I am tired of the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Our parents have spoken. They support their public schools. Our communities support their public schools. And this is how they show it. And Carrie, I love that you like gathered up all this great information. Eight. Think about this. We need to have like, I wish we had some like sound effects. I, I was just thinking, I need a tambourine. I, I know. Shake it and celebrate. The results of that election, $840 million are going to be going to schools for yes. bond elections. Yes. 34 districts pass school bond elections. In fact, there's this one district in Osage County that passed theirs by 100%. That is crazy. I know. They had 58 voters. And, you know, it's hard to get two people to decide on (laughs) that. 58 voters that said overwhelmingly 100% yes. Yes. We want this to happen. So kudos uh, to the districts that passed. We only had four districts that didn't pass it, but they had the majority vote. They didn't have the 60% vote. They had the majority vote. And so, you know. Take take that our parents don't support our public schools. Right. Our don't support our public schools right. because they do. Oh, a tambourine shake. I know. I, need, <laughs> I, just, I just want a tambourine. Um, but so last night, Thursday night, uh, Vice President Carrie Elledge and I were in Tahlequah and we joined oh, yeah. uh, our, our zone director, Sharika Cole, yes. that represents the Mus- Muskogee Tahlequah area. And we were in Tahlequah and for our first civication dinner we got to have, we finally got to have it, you know, after yes. all the reschedulings we've had to do. We had uh, Senator Pemberton there, Senator Stevens and Representative Fricks there. But I was blown away. We thought, you know, we're going to have, you know, maybe we're hoping for 15, 20 people. Yeah. We had 35, 40 people. That's awesome. Our okay. members showed That's up awesome. Awesome. And, the, and had conversation. We had a great dinner conversation with their legislators that mm-hmm. represent them. And it was so nice to hear them. And it was like, for some of them, it was the first time they met them. So they've already made that relationship. Cool. That's super Some cool. Some of them knew them and had them on their cell phone. So awesome. that was great. But we've got two more events coming up this next week. So on Tuesday, uh, the Northeast A, so that's kind of the Vanita area. Um, all that, Angela Frankie is the board member in Northeast A. And it's going to be at six o'clock 
um, at the Pizza Hut in Vanita. And uh, we want, uh, man, I'm telling you, Tahlequah, Muskogee area, set the bar high. And that's but awesome. we want we want to come out. It was such a great event. Come out if you're in that area. Um, come and have dinner with us. Um, have a conversation with the legislators that represent. Yeah. You. And then on Thursday, Northwest B. Uh, that is Zach Murray is the zone director for that. Mm-hmm. We will be in Stillwater at McAllister's at five o'clock. And you're going to want to come to that one because there I know the legislators in the area and. They are uh, great to visit with and start building those relationships. Are you going to be able to go to either of those this coming week? I'm going to get to go to the McAllister, the (laughs) Stillwater at McAllister's. Yeah, I I knew you'd win a way to get to Um, go to Stillwater. Carrie's going to be going to Benita, and I think we're both going to be there uh, for Thursday in Stillwater. Cool. Just, I'm just... I was jazzed. I was so excited to see that and to see people turn up. Yeah. And 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 then, you know, on a sad note, Carrie, we just hard, hard times, hard, hard, hard times. Um, lift up the family of families of two of our local leaders that passed away this past weekend. Um, Pam McNulty Alt. Um, who taught, was a local leader um, at Osage School prior, um, is from the Bonita area. Uh, please keep her family in your thoughts and prayers. And then also Shelly Kenner, who was the president of Locust Grove, longtime leader. Uh, both, both of these ladies, I know them, I've met them, just champions for public education and our students. And um, their communities are grieving. Their school communities are grieving. We're yeah. grieving with them. Yes. So just keep them in your thoughts and prayers. And, and it just it just gives us a reminder um, that every day that an educator uh, has the courage to not snooze their alarm, sets <laughs> up straight and puts two feet on the floor. Yeah. It, it is taking for many of us just everything we have to do that. And so... Just again, uh, be there for each other, be there for yourself and, and take care of each other. Oh man, thank you for sharing that with everyone, Catherine. So we all can be um, lifting up their family in whatever way is meaningful, your thoughts, your prayers, your, your love um, and hug your people, hug your people. Um, well, we want to say thank you today to Ivy Riggs and Ted Dentersmith for joining us. Thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.